Hey, all you beautiful people, welcome back to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I am so grateful to get to be back at the podcast with you this spring. And the theme for the upcoming episodes that I'll be releasing, and you can probably already guess this, is that I'll be coming around some of the songs and stories from my new album called This is the Hour, available everywhere you listen to music. We'll be using some of the songs as our focus, but you can rest assured that it's not just about us coming around these songs. It's more that I believe that there are some poignant truths that God wants us to come around together in this hour, and the songs are hopefully a beautiful and inspiring lens in which to do that together. Well, just a little backstory. This album was about two years in the making all in. But as you can imagine, at the same time, it feels like it comes from a lifetime of learning. And I'm so grateful for the creativity that God so generously gives and stirs up for such a time as this when we look to Him for it. I know that many of you have felt like the enemy has turned up the heat in terms of fiery trials. I've been in many conversations of that nature lately, and I will say that this record was no exception from beginning to end, not to sound dramatic, but it has truly felt in many ways like all hell was coming against us. In the very early stages of writing, even, you know that I ended up on the porch with the Lord about to quit everything. And then from the earliest days of recording, Nathan and I found ourselves having to be so incredibly intentional in order to be a unified front. And as you can imagine, being married and working together on something like this feels incredibly vulnerable at times. Well, I was also dealing with sickness at several points in the journey. In fact, the first time I ever got COVID was in July, right before we were supposed to record. We had multiple musicians coming to the house and an engineer booked, and we had to end up moving the dates, and we were so disappointed. And COVID actually ended up lasting over three weeks for me. And then the morning that we had rescheduled the recording with those same musicians and engineer headed to our home again to record, I woke up with fever and aches all over again. I remember walking out to the studio that morning where Nathan was preparing for everyone to get there. And there I stood, achy, coughing with fever, and I just burst into tears partly because I didn't feel good, but mostly because I had already missed what felt like a month of my life because of COVID. And here I was so excited to finally get to start this record. And it felt like such a setback again. And on top of that, there was just some excruciating ways that I was watching the enemy trying to come after my kids. And you know what I'm saying when the enemy just knows what buttons to push to get you feeling like you're just in over your head. And I was there. I remember saying out loud to Nathan through my tears, all I know to do right now is just to not quit. (laughs) I laugh now, but it was not funny then. I was sobbing. And we ended up on our knees in the studio that morning, which was only fitting, really. My tears literally soaking the ground of the very place where we would choose to just keep moving forward that day with the recording. We held out our hands and our hearts to the Lord, once again, just releasing it all to Him. 
I'm thankful for our friend, Stu Jones, who we have known for many, many years through his wife, Denise, who's in the group Point of Grace. Some of you might know who that group is, but he has a medical house call group here in Franklin, and he has a team of people who can usually help within a matter of hours. So even that morning, I was able to get a chest x-ray, and he confirmed that it was bronchitis, and they were able to help me get what I needed, and we could move on. Well, not to just keep wallowing in the saga, but because of the first delay of the record, the project ended up bumping into two other records that Nathan was producing and had deadlines for. And then that pushed into Thanksgiving and Christmas. And when it finally came time right after Christmas for me to finish the vocals on the record, lo and behold, I got sick again and I lost my voice. (laughs) Y'all, I promise I take vitamins regularly, like all kinds of immune building vitamins (laughs) and I eat well and I take care of myself. But once again, I kid you not, it came down to this one week after Christmas that either we got the vocals recorded or we were going to have to move the release of the album. That week, you could find me two times getting home IV therapy from Stu's group, getting fluids and essential vitamins and minerals pumped into my veins in my very own living room. That is just where we were. Well, as I look back on it, the opposition, and honestly, when I think about it, the intimidation that we felt from the enemy the entire process, I have to believe that it's because truth seems to matter more than ever in this hour. And I say all of that to say that I so strongly believe that this album is an exhortation for the church. I know that's a big word, but what exhortation really just means is encouragement. It's for the building up of the church. My sister-in-law, when the recording first came out, she just kept reminding me of the word fortify. I believe that Jesus is fortifying His people in this hour. And along with encouragement, an exhortation carries with it counsel. There's also a bidding, an urging, even an appeal. It's truth to soften our hearts to. The exhortation and encouragement isn't coming from me. I had to receive this for myself as well. I'm just one of the many songwriters and artists who are choosing to believe that the gifts God has given me are for His glory, and they can serve as a healing balm for people, but also serve as a tool or art form even that we can use to communicate with the Lord in these days. A song that's ready on our lips in the night or a declaration in our car in the middle of the day when we need to press on in spite of really hard things. One thing that I've become certain of is that God is going to always have me live and experience the art I create first before I ever release it to the world. I hope you don't hear me complaining, but as you may guess, many times living it and experiencing it is quite painful in the beginning, but He is so faithful to tend to every need all the way up until the joy pours out again. And I do know this, He is worthy, literally worth it all when it comes to any sort of toil or pain in the process. And the art, in my experience, is worth it too, because it ends up being richer, deeper, fuller, and all in all, hopefully just points straight back to Jesus in the most beautiful way. I also know that this is not exclusive to me, nor is this limited to artists or even leaders. I think about you. 
and who God has made you to be and what He has called you to, even just in this very season, which could look a lot different than you ever imagined it would. He might be having you live and experience first whatever He has put in you to share with the world and community around you. If you have found yourself encountering adversity over and over again, I'm here to encourage you that God really does have something life-changing for you in it, something for your good, something that will bring you closer to His heart than anything else can, something that will cause you to be able to talk about the things of the Lord in a way that is tender and even winsome and compelling to those He puts in your path. I don't know about you, but... Every time I face something gut-wrenchingly hard, I find myself saying out loud, what would I do right now if I didn't know the Lord? I think of those who don't have the light of Jesus to illuminate the dark path in front of them. I think of those who don't have the hope we carry, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And I think about those who don't have the peace that passes all earthly understanding when we're faced with having to trust God with our very lives or the lives of those we love. My mind immediately goes to our community here in Nashville, as at the time of recording this podcast, we are only one week out from the shooting at the Covenant School. Even now, as I try to articulate the heaviness and sadness of this community, I find it difficult to form words. But what we've all experienced is the back half of Romans 12, 15, where it says, mourn with those who mourn. But I know this to be true, and even based on friends who know some of these families who have lost loved ones, we and they have also experienced 1 Thessalonians 4 to be true, that we do not mourn as others do who have no hope. And as I keep speaking, even in this moment, I'm not trying to use the Bible to skirt around very hard things. Yes, we must always do our part in being a voice for change in our communities. And that has happened here in Nashville this week. And from what I'm reading, our governor has acknowledged the outpouring of voices. But this physical and political reality doesn't negate the spiritual reality in this life, whether we agree or not. And choosing to focus on that spiritual plight is not irresponsible or unloving or choosing to avoid. It's embracing the full picture. This was an act of hate. And oh my, how quickly hate gives birth to hate. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6.12. This week, I released a video from one of the songs on my album called Where Would I Be? And the chorus says this, Where would I be without the blood? Where would I be without your love? You took my place on Calvary without the blood. Where would I be? I began writing this little chorus in September of 2021. And the reason that date is significant is that it was around the time that I was ready to quit everything. I share that entire story on the podcast episode called Home. But as I think back on that time, not only was I weary of the physical ailments that had plagued me that year, as well as my mom's battle with cancer, I see now very clearly that I was heavily grieving And I've learned since then how important it is to identify grief, to write it down, 
to talk it out with God, to acknowledge how it made you feel and how it affected you. Yes, I was grieving things not turning out as planned in terms of my physical ailments, causing what felt like a blanket of disability to cover me. But looking back, I was more so grieving the world as we know it, life as we now know it in our generation. Yes, history repeats itself, but you and I are still new to the moment. And all we know is that it just feels darker than it ever has. Another element to my grief is that I had been specifically reading about and even hearing personal accounts of the vast differences in the church right now over fundamental beliefs. I mean, there's always been denominational differences and theological differences, but never before have I heard of more division when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember a friend of mine backstage at a gathering, a friend whose name many of you would know, and I'm not sharing her name because she didn't speak this from a public stage, but I know she wouldn't mind me sharing what she said in that moment. But there were several of us women leaders backstage at a conference, and there was just a very heavy conversation taking place about culture, again, the physical and even political reality of the world, and even the church around the world. And I'll never forget her forecasting, and this was probably eight years ago or so, that these issues wouldn't stop there. She said, eventually this will come all the way down to the atonement. What is the atonement? Even the American Heritage Dictionary just says it like this, the reconciliation of God and humans brought about by the redemptive life and death of Jesus Christ. My friend's point was, These cultural arguments are a slippery slope and oddly enough are many times used to skirt around really hard things like going to war on sin in our lives, like living a life of confession and consecration to God and believing that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God against sin. And Jesus wasn't just a good teacher who decided to give his life one day to show his willingness to just lay down his life for others. No, he was the perfect, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His atoning blood. I've heard it said like this. His atoning blood is the scarlet thread that we can see all throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. And as the old hymn says, his blood will never lose its power. Looking back, the song rose up out of my grief as a way to declare what I knew to be truth. As I pondered the divisive and dismissive arguments of culture, belief systems that try to downplay and negate the death of Jesus and the fact that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, I began to sing, to give a testimony of the abundant life that his death afforded me, me. I can't help but think of Revelation 12, 10 through 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death." Also, as I've been preparing and recording this episode, I can't help but mention that it's Holy Week. 
Many of you have been fasting for Lent or you've maybe been preparing your heart specifically in some way leading up to this week. But even if you're listening months or years from now, my prayer is that you'll be encouraged even as I share about my process in writing this song. Once I had that chorus, I began to ponder and think on the verses naturally, and I went where you'd probably go if you were writing it. Where would I be without the blood of Jesus? Of course, immediately what came to me were things like, I'd be completely lost in darkness. I'd be so frightened, truly. I'd be aimless and empty. And of course, the cold, hard truth is that I'd be the walking dead, completely cut off from the arms and the life and the love of the Father. I don't know about you, but I reckon that would just be a really dreadful song to listen to. So as I prayed into it more, what began to surface was more that the blood of Jesus is what I've built my life on. It's where my life began. That made me ponder all the wonders that I'd ultimately miss out on if not for believing on the atoning blood of Jesus. So here's where I went. It says this, If ever I'm asked for the reason for the hope I have, if I'm to say when my life began, I wouldn't hold back the answer that my heart knows well, the one I sing over and over again. Where would I be without the blood? Where would I be without your love? You took my place on Calvary. Without the blood, where would I be? I wouldn't know your peace in my darkest night. I wouldn't hope from a heart made new. I'd still be longing for the answer to the ache inside. Jesus, I'd still be searching for you. Where would I be without the blood? Where would I be without your love? You took my place on Calvary. Without the blood, where would I be? Some may try to explain away the sacrifice you made, but Jesus, I remember. Your precious life poured out on the cross, perfect Lamb of God. Jesus, I remember that your blood, it speaks a better word than anything I've heard. And Jesus, I remember that it sounds like the sweetest freedom song. And I still sing along because Jesus, I remember, I remember. Where would I be without the blood? Where would I be without your love? You took my place on Calvary without the blood where would I be? I might come back another time and focus on more of this song, but today I'm just going to pull out one phrase from this song as I close. I wouldn't know your peace in my darkest night. You know me by now enough to know a lot about my darkest nights over the past several years. I hope you also know it's always only to encourage you and uplift you when you face yours. The very week that this record released, my dad went into the ER with chest pains that were not subsiding, only to find out that he'd have to have bypass surgery the very next day, a six bypass surgery, which I didn't even know was a thing. And before I left that night, as I knew he'd be going into surgery the next morning, I asked if I could pray for him. I'll never forget my mom and I climbing up onto his hospital bed, each of us laying our head on his shoulders, one of us on the left, one of us on the right, 
And before I even opened my mouth to pray, I remember I just had Jesus in full view in my heart of hearts. And I know it was the same with both of my parents. And there was just this sense of us beholding him together in that hospital room. And this unexplainable peace just fell on us. And I can count on one hand the times I've experienced this, but it was a peace that felt like a warm blanket. I mean, literally, I felt the sensation of warmth inside and out. And together in agreement, not only did we say, Jesus, we trust you, but we said, Jesus, we adore you. I remember saying something like, Jesus, you are the treasure here on earth and you are the treasure there in heaven. So no matter what happens, we can't go wrong. Either way, we behold you today as the treasure of all. And I remember acknowledging that our all-knowing Father's love and compassion was just like this umbrella in that moment and that we were choosing to get up underneath it in full trust that He had this. He had us. I remember writing in my book, The Life You Long For, in the chapter called Heart Like a Honeycomb, about what it looks like to trust God with all that is to come. I said this, we can store up praise even now for uncertain days. As we remember Jesus' reminder that He has already overcome the world, we can relinquish to God any fear of the future and take heart and advance for all that is to come. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That phrase, take heart, is a Greek word, therseo, and it means to radiate warm confidence. That's exactly what I felt as I prayed over my dad before his eight-hour heart surgery warm confidence. My dad would tell you the same thing as he laid there in that operating room that he said looked like the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek. As the anesthesiologist told him that he was getting ready to give him something that would make him go to sleep, he spoke of that same warm blanket kind of peace that gives us the assurance that no matter what happens, we're beholding Jesus. Whether he gives us more days here on earth, which thank the Lord he gave my dad, will behold Him. Or whether at any point we're face to face with Jesus and our time on earth is through, we'll behold Him. And just four weeks after my dad's surgery, it was the same peace that ultimately flows from the powerful, finished work of Jesus that held us as my mama would go into the ER with chest pains that wouldn't subside, which we would quickly learn was a heart attack. That morning, my dad called me at about 7.13 a.m. Actually, I know exactly when he called. It's still on my phone to tell me that an ambulance was on their way to get my mom and told me the symptoms that she was having. And I had been at their house the night before to take some meds out to my dad from the pharmacy as he was very much still in recovery from his huge surgery. And my mom had been taking care of him so intently. And later that night at home, Nathan and I had been in a text exchange with his dad, who was still very much intently grieving the passing of Nathan's mother, Kay. And his dad said something to the effect of, I never knew that it would hurt this bad. And in light of that, 
as I laid down that night, I just thought about my parents who I had just been with at their house and thought about the sadness and the hardship of losing one of them, but even more so the sadness and hardship of watching one of them lose the other. And I closed my eyes kind of in that heaviness. And as I woke up probably around 7 a.m. that Saturday morning before I even opened my eyes, I thought of my parents again. And with my eyes still closed, I said out loud, Jesus, have mercy. It would only be a few minutes later that I'd get the call from my dad. I told a few friends it was as if my spirit knew. A friend confirmed, and she was like, yes, you knew, because the Holy Spirit is in you. And he put the prayer on your lips, and he answered that very prayer. And mercy there was. The mercy of empty ER waiting rooms and getting right in to see doctors and her surgeon being able to put a stent in one of the arteries of her heart before we even knew the surgeon was on the scene. My dad stayed with her all day until um, we all decided that he needed to go back home and get some rest and that I'd take him home and come back to stay with my mom that night. It was around 9.30 p.m. that I would get back into the ICU with my mom. And when I got there, she was sitting up watching some little baby bears roll around on some nature show. (laughs) She was lively and ready to chat. In fact, she doesn't know this. Sorry, mom, but I sent my brother a picture of her that night searching her phone for dresses to wear to my niece's wedding. My brother's daughter's wedding is just in a few weeks. And oh, and like nail polish colors that she liked. (laughs) I was just sitting there marveling and I was like, okay, on to more important things. (laughs) I started to say just now, I can't even tell you all the times that God has had me completely surrendered as I'm releasing worship and art into the world. But I probably have told you all the times that He's had me completely stretch out my hands and heart wide in surrender upon the delivery of things He's put in me. It's as if He hems me in with things beyond my control. And He has me tending to even more important things as I simply choose to trust Him that He's got all of it. Even the fruit of our lives must abide. I'm going to end today's episode by playing this song, Where Would I Be? Because I'd love for you to be able to sit and ponder that very question. Where would I be without your blood, Jesus? Maybe even journal around that specifically sometime this week and just let your praise and thanks rise to the Lord that His atoning blood is precious It's powerful, and it is sufficient. It accomplished what we couldn't. Jesus' sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God against sin. Sin that we were born into. Sin that separated us from God. And it's in believing on Jesus and confessing it with our mouths that we are saved. I'll talk to you soon, friend. the reason for the hope I have And if I'm to say when my life began I wouldn't hold back the answer that my heart knows well The one I sing over and over again 